Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Colony Drop, a Gundam podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Isaac. This is your favorite Gundam podcast where we talk about everything from the anime series, Gunpla, lore, theories, and Gundam news. I think there's been some low-key, huge Gundam news lately. You don't say. (laughs) Did you say that's accurate? I would say it's very accurate. In fact, I took the words right out of my mouth. It's low-key, but it has massive implications. Gargantuan implications, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess to set this up a little bit, you know, we've all kind of been waiting on the first film in the Hathaway's Flash trilogy to be released. And the, f- the first film was originally scheduled to come out in July of 2020, but because of COVID, uh, it's now been delayed three times. So originally it was delayed to May 7th of 2021, then to May 21st, uh, now to a future to-be-determined date because basically uh, Japan's state of emergency was supposed to end uh, you know, before that 21st date, I think, and now it's been extended until the 31st, so I guess they just decided to kind of say, hey, we'll just, we'll just make it TBD for now, which is probably smart, right? Probably. I mean, I, I haven't kept up too well on the situation, but I know... I believe vaccination is much lower than here in the United States. So things are uh, coming up to speed at different parts of the world at different rates. Yeah, Japan apparently, I think their vaccination rate last time I checked is like low single digits. I, I, I read 2%, Yikes. maybe it's a little higher than there, but it's pretty low. I think in general, it seems to be like two causes. That one, just in general, the Japanese people did a pretty good job of controlling it. So their caseload is low relative to other countries so i think you know they felt that okay maybe vaccines aren't quite as uh of a priority and then two I, it sounds like japan's population from what i read they're fairly distrusting of vaccines for some whoa particular reasons they fit right in at some states in some areas here <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i think i think there was some maybe some lawsuits and some bad actors uh before on the vaccine front in japan but wow and, you know, Japan's kind of whole goal is, you know, they're, they're trying to make sure that the 2020 Olympics, which now are starting in July of 2021, go on kind of as scheduled or they, they don't want to be delayed again. Um, they're in Tokyo. And, if, you know, if, if you know anything about the Olympics, those are they're, they're, it's worth basically billions for your economy. Uh, and you also have to spend some probably some billions to, you know, establish all the arenas and, and stadiums and stuff. Nope. <laughs> Cancel. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that, you know, we're getting pretty close, right? So we're already end of May and the Olympics are supposed to start in late July. That's only two months away. You know, I, I don't, I don't know how it's going to go. I think there is some pressure internally in Japan. Some people don't want it to go forward. They want to just cancel it. The emperor will not be displeased. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the emperor, you know, and I'm the prime minister, I'm sure they're, they're looking at it from a, you know, like a GDP kind of Olympics is a big deal. We can't really lose this. We spent so much money on it. But then, yeah, you have to balance that with the with the COVID risk. So they're like, we're Japan guys. OK, we're like one of the coolest countries ever. We have to have these awesome Olympics here. We can't skip it. <laughs> yeah, man. They built that Gundam for the Olympics. The, the new life size uh, RX-78, man. The thing moves. <laughs> it's going to hold the torch. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. Is it really going to hold the torch? I no, so. I'm just saying <laughs> Oh it's man, a, it's I a beam torch, Brian. <laughs> that would be amazing. If they don't already have that in the design, they need to add that. They still well, got two months. I'll email the emperor. <laughs> yeah, get get right on that. I'll hit him up on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's just kind of weird, right? Because they they delayed it for like a year, 
And then that, that second delay was only like two weeks from May 7th to May 21st. I mean, clearly they thought things were going to be good. They were going to lift that declaration. I guess they didn't do it. So either way, Hathaway's Flash is unfortunately caught in this COVID situation, and it's kind of delaying the, the thing. Why does this matter? The, the, the side effect of this is it seems like the Gundam producer, whose name is uh, Naohiro Ogata, or Ogata? Ogata yes. probably? Ogata-san probably? He seems to be doing a lot of interviews, Isaac, uh, with different publications in Japan, and you know, primarily around Hathaway's Flash. It's about how they developed the film, you know, why he chose a director, various things. And so we've learned a lot of interesting things about Hathaway's Flash, this movie, this adaptation, as well as stuff that's coming after Hathaway's Flash, which I'm not sure if he like really set out to do that when he did these interviews, but it certainly certainly came out. So I think we're going to talk about like three-ish main things today, but just in general, it's all news from stuff that this producer has yeah. been saying. So it's it's like the uh, the MS Igloo news update. Like it's going to say uh, <laughs> Earth Federation Space Forces Los Angeles. And it's just weird because I, I feel like it was he he said so much in like two sentences, and I was like, wow. That was a lot of new info that I did, that we didn't really have yeah. confirmed, <laughs> and like he is the Gundam producer, and you know him saying it is basically confirmation. Yeah. So, by the way, we're gonna make all this content. All right, I'll see you guys later. Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> what? Pretty what? much what <laughs> Like what? <laughs> yeah, but I, in terms of so we'll, we'll get to that part after we talk about Hathaway because I think that that part's a little juicier. But in terms of Hathaway, is there anything in particular that you found interesting that he said, Isaac? And I guess I should say. Uh, a good source to read all this stuff is GundamNews.org. Um, been looking for a good Gundam News site for the last few years, and I, I, I really like this one. I used to read Gundam Guy's blog all the time, and I think he shut down probably like five or six years ago. So, Oh, I was about to say, did he shut down because of COVID? Cause no, no, no. It was, it was way before uh, that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, not really. I was just more focused on the fact that, you know, delay. You know, possible yeah. delay. and Everything's up in the air. So maybe the delay won't be as bad as we think it is. Maybe it'll be extended. Who knows? I don't really know what specifically is happening in Japan in terms of how they're actually working on projects, what's been extended, or <sighs> they're working from home. Who knows? Right, Brian? It, it, it could be... It's anyone's guess. Yeah, in terms of timing, I mean, they really want this in theaters. They made it as a theatrical film. And I think this one is set to open in like a record number of theaters for a Gundam film for the franchise. I think it's like 240 theaters, which is a lot for Japan. So, you know, they definitely want it to release in theaters. They don't want to just put out the DVD, right? I mean, this this was supposed to be like, you know, a big kickoff event for the trilogy. So they're going to wait, I think, until until they're able to open up the theaters. You know, I, I hope that's not too much longer. But yeah, I mean, if... I actually would think if they cancel the Olympics, it might get released faster because then, like, the the risk of the Olympics is like all these foreigners basically coming into Japan, right? That might have COVID and could, you know, uh, infect the, the population because uh, they're not vaccinated. But like, if that doesn't happen, then I guess that that risk maybe goes down a little bit. Okay, a- anti-vaxxers in Japan, they're kind of damned if they do, damned if they don't. If I'm understanding their logic right, um, they don't want the vaccine because they don't trust it for whatever reason but they don't want foreigners coming in even if the foreigners are vaccinated i don't i mean i don't know i don't, I don't really know what they're thinking but <laughs> i would assume japan's on on the short list of countries that would require a vaccine passport right 
like yeah. probably yeah, I yeah. Imagine so. J- Japan has to be at the top of that list on like you know very health conscious advanced countries. Yeah, it just there's so many countries and people coming in for the Olympics. It just seems yeah. like a a situation. You know, if you were writing a movie right. about like a, an out of control virus, the Olympics would be like a you know super spreader event, right? The virus hasn't spread very far in the country because they've been very good about their measures, preventive measures, even though vaccination has been low. So why not just release the movie, <laughs> right? These people aren't going to get the vaccine anyways. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think they've had like maybe some increases in cases lately, and that's why this newest emergency declaration got put in place or something. Well, if there's 20, there's 100. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's probably still low than like what we have over here. I'm sure the government is thinking from a conservative perspective of, hey, there's only too much to the Olympics. We can't let this get out of control, so let's just lock it down. Sir, what about animators? We'll lock them down too. (laughs) (laughs) Tell them to stop work on Hathaway's Flash. (laughs) Well, I think the first one's done. I mean, you know, it's been done for a long time. They're probably just waiting to get it out in the theaters because they they want, you know, they want that theatrical release, that, that ticket revenue. So... But yeah, who knows what's happening with the second and third one? I mean, hopefully they're still able to work from home. I mean, I know like, for example, the American film companies, particularly the animators, I think they're making films from home at this point. So, Yeah, I mean, uh, on the bright side, though, what the article does tell us is that this is um, almost the first Gundam film of its kind because it has a very live action feel to it. Not that it's, you know, photorealistic or anything like that. But according to the director, they approached it like they're making a live action film and it's going to feel much different than other Gundam anime and film series. I noticed that they said that they allowed the director to change all the like legacy sound effects. So I think he's going to have different beam sounds, uh, which will be interesting, right? Because generally the beam sounds are pretty consistent. Wow. So the mono eye is going to make a different noise? The <laughs> I don't know. The walking Xeonic mobile suits are going to go... It's going to be like, or something. <laughs> could be. I don't know how much of them they'll change or all of them or some of them or what, but it sounds like at least a few of them were, will be different. Yeah. So that'll be interesting. For the, for the beam saber, we decided to record a blowtorch being turned on. <laughs> <laughs> the one article with the producer that I thought that was the most interesting uh, was when he answered the question, why hasn't Hathaway's Flash ever been adapted until now? Because if you think about it, you know, there was that like, pretty strong run there from 79 through uh 89 when they made char's counterattack yeah of just full-on let's adapt everything tamino does right and then they just never adapted hathaway's flash and now it's 30 years later (laughs) yeah to new fans i mean or to anyone listening that maybe hasn't watched gundam for like a long time um hathaway's flash is not new content (laughs) it's from the last century (laughs) yeah Oh. It's from a few novels that came out in like I think eighty nine through ninety I, I believe so you know it's thirty years old and he he kind of gave like three reasons uh, which you could probably guess on some of these the, the first reason was basically look Penelope and the Cassie Gundam their designs are just very complicated and if any fan if you go look at those Gundams you're like yeah that looks more complicated than a normal Gundam that I'm used to seeing and. If you can imagine trying to animate that 30 years ago with without the use of 3D computer graphics, it would be very difficult. And the second reason, partic- it's kind of related because both the Penelope and the Cassie are huge. 
like, like literally they're bigger than, than most mobile suits. You've heard of miniature mobile suits. Well, now you're about to hear about massive mobile suits. <laughs> <laughs> We're going the other way. Why not double your reactor? <laughs> What's the downside? It's just easier to get shot out of the sky, but that too. Oh God, Penelope! Like, what's the point of dodging? Just devote more to armor or something. <laughs> Those shoulders. The original Gundam is, I think, eighteen meters or nineteen meters or something. I'm pretty sure the Penelope is like thirty-two. Oh God. And that's because they're both both of those suits are equipped with a Minovsky craft system, which is typically only used on like capital ships, ships. and some mobile armors. <laughs> yeah, it's what makes them be able to float, basically. Ogata said that, you know, that's traditionally difficult uh, to animate with those complicated designs. And so they developed this new way of uh, animating it with like a, a blend of hand-drawn and 3D. But I think at one point it doesn't even say like the visual quality of this film is beyond anything that Sunrise has ever done before. Like that, that's a tall claim. Yeah. Like, I wonder if there were some looks at Sunrise. Like People started looking around at each other like, what do you say about us? <laughs> Was that a compliment or an insult? <laughs> hey, buddy, I worked on Unicorn. <laughs> and the, then the last reason he gave was just that the timing was off for the story um, 30 years ago. The story is different. It's not just Zeon versus the Federation. It's about immigration and terrorism. So that's that's not quite the same high concept story, right? Um, that might be harder to sell 30 years ago than it is today. Yeah, much smaller conflict. There won't be massive fleet battles and sides changing hands a lot it's almost a um, almost a personal story that happens to have gundams in it right yeah if you want to read about hathaway's flash all those interviews are up uh, across the different there's different websites that have them uh, i think i saw one or two of them on like anime news network but gundamnews.org has them all but i think the stuff we really wanted to talk about today isaac was what he said about the future Ah, uh, the future. What does the future hold, Brian? What did he say that we can generally infer and expect to be coming down the pipeline from Sunrise? Well, if we step back, remember the UC Next 100 project, Isaac, yes. where Sunrise declared that, hey, we're going to go into the next century. We're pushing forward. We're going to fill up that timeline with content. And there really hasn't been much news beyond Hathaway. I mean, since the UC Next 100 was, project was start, has started, we've really only had Gundam Narrative, which was a sequel to Gundam Unicorn, which received mixed reviews at best. I wonder why. I haven't seen it, but like, c considering how it looks, you know, how close it looks to Unicorn, I guess, I wonder why it did do that well. I don't think it's a visual thing. The story. I think it's a little weird as a story. Yeah. I haven't seen it either, but the certain spoilers I have encountered, I was kind of like, hmm. If you really loved like Gundam Unicorn's last episode, I think you'll oh, no. really like Narrative. <laughs> but if you didn't really like Gundam Unicorn's last episode, probably won't like Gundam Narrative. No, I'll leave it I at don't that. Think I like, yeah, I think Gundam Unicorn might have peaked in the middle. But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that we'll leave that conversation yeah. for another day. We'll, but we'll I, I think the, I yeah. firmly agree with you on, on that point. Anyways, yeah, <laughs> he said like two sentences here, Isaac, and he, in those two sentences, he right. said so much way more than we've gotten over the last like year or two about this he said i'm just gonna read the whole thing it's very short do it he said uh, oh unicorn isn't over yet we have to tell the story of the republic of zeon's dissolution in the year 100 of the universal century before we can move on however harutoshi fukui who wrote the novel for unicorn is currently traveling to another universe and then he laughed so so right there you're already like <laughs> oh unicorn sequel right you're like zeon 
and then right after that, he just he just tacks on this little bit. He's like, oh, and, I, and I'm also thinking how to adapt the era leading up to F91. Two bombshells. Yeah, that's two bombshells. Absolutely. We've been clamoring for news on this or, or clarity, and he, he kind of just like off the cuff gave it to us, right? Bombshells in our eyes and in our face. Let's take those separately, Isaac, because that basically confirms two things. One, we're going to get a unicorn sequel, and then two, we're going to get something after Hathaway's Flash. Hathaway's Flash takes place in UC-0105, uh, and F91 takes place in UC-0123. So that's 18 years to fill in there. But before we fill in there, we're probably going to get something un- something unicorn-related. So let's talk about unicorn first. Do it. So unicorn, as we've said many times, that was a huge cash cow, Isaac. We predicted that they would have a sequel to this, and seems like that's going to happen and that makes sense don't you think it has to because unicorn was peak gundam in terms of animation and the effects the story yeah it stumbles in some parts but overall it's it's probably the best gundam series you can watch arguably arguably i'll say arguably because there's a lot of people that like maybe they fell in love with something that was older that they originally watched but this show really they, they pulled out all the stops and all the breaks for it so yes, it's great that we'll be seeing Unicorn, and especially we'll be seeing the actual end of Zeon, which Unicorn's pretty much been all about, if you think about it from a, a an overview, right? I mean, we've had the whole Laplace's box thing, we've had Maneva there, the full frontal, the sleeves, which are pretty much what's left of Neo Zeon. So yes, we're, we're going to get that from Unicorn. I agree. I think it's definitely the best modern series for someone who doesn't already like the old Universal Century series. Like, if someone wants to get into Universal Century, they're probably going to have Unicorn High on their list, right? So that's why it's the most accessible. And I think that's why Sunrise put so much effort into all the merchandise and just, you know, everything during that era. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I think it's definitely going to be a Zeon-focused story. I mean, you got Maneva. If they're going to tell the story of Zeon's dissolution, which I don't think we really know too much about in general, right? Right. I mean, it's it's pretty much like a sentence in like, depending on what content you're reading, you know, that's it. It was like a, a little blip on the timeline. You know, Republic yeah. of Zeon rejoins the U.S. Federation. And then decades later, you know, we get to F91 and all the other stuff that happens after that. So why not have a story about it finally ending? And dare I make a prediction, Brian, Maneva goes down with the ship. So that's my question for you. What is your version of Zeon's dissolution? Like, where do you see this story going? I'm going to say clearly I think it's a Maneva story, right? Right. She's going to have a big role in it. There's going to be a Gundam involved in some type of secret project or secret <laughs> secret mission. And um, I'm going to guess that the forces within the Federation are going to do something corrupt. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe underhanded to try to get Xeon to collapse faster than it probably normally would have. And then mm. there's going to be some uh, secret Xeon loyalists in the Republic of Xeon that are going to try to make one last stab or attack at the the earth federation and it's not going to go well but i do think ultimately if you look at unicorn and a lot of the other series even going back to zeta really maneva and anybody with a zombie last name has always been essentially a glorified flag that anybody zeon or space noid can rally around and uh, keep fighting so once that's gone you really don't have anything zeon left that's a fair point and uh, you know maneva to my knowledge doesn't come up again in the lore so she's either dead or she's chosen to retire and never be seen again she's pulling like a sailor basically 
No, she's she's dead. She's gonna die somehow. She'll she'll die. She'll die gloriously saving people or saving the hero or taking down the main villain. Something will happen where Maneva goes down with the ship. Okay, so you're predicting yeah. a Maneva death. Wow, that's pretty depressing. I'll be honest, Isaac. <laughs> well, I mean, it, yeah, it is sad, but that's really the only way to close the book on Zeon. And we know that happens in the UC because Zeon never really comes back after, um, you know, once once the Republic of Zeon's gone. Excluding the Mars Zeon, let's be clear. Well, yeah, they barely count. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. So you're so you're thinking Federation is still the aggressor somehow. Um, I'd say there's there's two aggressive parties. There's going to be, you know, our obviously mandatory corrupt Federation that's uh, been manipulating events as much as they can in the Republic of Zeon. There's going to mm-hmm. be the Republic of Zeon elements that say, you know, we're trying to be peaceful and stuff, but they're really preparing for war, some type of attack. And then there's going to be peaceful elements on both sides that clearly don't want a war to happen or any conflict, but they always end up being the ones that have to uh, fight it out and, you know, pick up the pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I was thinking more along the lines of maybe Maneva somehow decides that the only way to get peace is to dissolve Zeon. Like maybe this is a voluntary thing on her part, but then what's left of the sleeves or whatever Neo Zeon's calling itself at this point, maybe they'll call themselves, you know, like the short sleeves because there's less of them now. <laughs> um, but the cuffs, uh, yeah, the cuffs, there you go. The cuffs. So the cuffs are going to say, Hey, you know, Maneva, we don't really agree with that. And then there's, they're, that would create this sort of Zeon civil war. Wow. I like it already. And that, that could actually lead to Maneva's death. Yeah. I mean, the moment she says, you know, we should probably integrate the Federation again. I imagine a lot of people that would normally take a bullet for her would kind of immediately switch sides and say, well, she has to go down. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It would totally yeah. fracture her, her population in two camps. And then, yeah, maybe that actually dovetails well with, with, with your idea. Maybe she goes yeah. down in the conflict and then once she once she actually dies maybe then people are like oh you know what we just killed the, the zeon princess like maybe that wasn't a good idea maybe this isn't working yeah. and then they just kind of quit and then you know the federation fleet flies in and i guarantee one of the images we'll see is you know a zeon banners being taken down for the last time and then the federation mm-hmm. banners going back up in site three is the zabi palace even still standing I would be surprised if it was. I imagine, you know, in the transition, whoever set up the Republic of Zeon in like the few hours they had after a Bawaku <laughs> probably <laughs> probably put yeah, probably put bulldozing that at the top of their list and putting a very <laughs> boring looking government structure in place <laughs> just so they could hold on to power. <laughs> so I I actually think this is this is going to be good. I'm excited for that. Yeah, are you kidding? Yeah, I think Maneva's due for a, a good series. I I liked her. I I liked her in Unicorn. I thought she had most of the good parts in the show, actually, uh, outside of the action. If you think about it, Maneva, to an extent, rivals Amuro in terms of being in the most UC series. She does? Yeah, I mean, yeah. she was in... She might overtake uh, him, actually. Probably, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, well, he's he's had a little bit of a problem lately, given that he's uh, no longer with us. But <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> I think I'm on board, Isaac. I think Maneva's going down in a, in a moment of, of glory to, you know, unite Zeon for, for peace somehow, for, be- for better or worse. Something's going to happen. The best way to get rid of Zeon is to make sure there's no more zombies or Zeons left. Char's gone. Yeah. Sayla's, I assume, gone by this point. <laughs> well, I think she's just chosen to remain yeah. silent. I, yeah. Nobody alive has any idea who she is, right? So she, she's gotten the immunity that Maneva wished she could have. Right. So that's not going to happen. 
So yeah, get rid of Maneva and that's it. Unless Maneva has kids, but that's not going to happen. Come on. We would know by now. All right, so that's our story prediction. I would yeah. be super curious to hear what your story prediction is for a Unicorn 2 that involves the dissolution of Zeon. So that that's more on the story, the plot front, Isaac. Along with the plot, I mean, this is Gundam, right? we got to sell some Gunpla. That's right, Brian. I believe the Unicorn, the Banshee, and uh, the third unit in narrative, the Phoenix, I believe they're all still active to some extent. I'm not sure on the Phoenix because I haven't seen narrative. But I know, I'm pretty sure the Unicorn and Banshee are confirmed to still be around. Where do they go visually? Are we going to get some upgrades in this show? And then are we going to get any new units of the line, right? If I think of just merchandise, Isaac, I got a white suit, a black suit, and a gold suit. Okay, those are those are three distinct you know things that you can sell. Right. I think we're in store for some more colors in this line of Unicorn-looking suits. I hope so. The one color we don't have yet, which is very Gundam, is a red one. Yeah, it's kind of mandatory, right? Even if the person piloting it isn't going to be Char or anything like that. Right. Uh, we, we need red represented always. So I'm thinking we get a red one and potentially a green one. You know, those are both very Zeonic. Yeah. What would you give the unicorn to, like, soup it up or the Banshee? I don't know. For the unicorn, maybe, like, some wings and, like, a, a handheld weapon. <laughs> Yeah. Some type of staff. Something cinematic and theatrical almost, right? It could become like the Gundam Pegasus or something if you give it wings. They, oh, wow. That's cool. Damn, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, wait, what's, is a Pegasus a unicorn with wings or no, is that something it's else? It's just a flying it, horse. Oh, okay. So maybe. Yeah. But there's a there's a name, right, for a unicorn that has wings? Is that is that like an alicorn so. or something? I don't know. Maybe. It's a pegacorn. <laughs> So here's what we're saying, people. The Gundam Pegacorn will fight the Cuffs, and the Cuffs will have a red one called the the Notshar Unicorn. <laughs> the, yeah, and then whoever, <laughs> I don't know, whoever pilots the mobile suit, it can, we can clearly always say that it was made for Char. That's why it's red, and we can't paint it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was made for full frontal, but not yeah. completed in time to be used in, in the in the other conflict or something. They always do that in the show, right? They're like, oh, we made this in the last war, and, you know, we never got to use it. Or we, they always find prototypes, right? The Federation and Xeon, there's always, like, a prototype or something laying around that nobody used that, like, they're they're waiting to, to, to give to somebody. Yeah, like, uh, we didn't send this out there. Instead, we sent those gyms or those Zakus. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. So, yeah, some wings. I could, that was my initial thought, too, for the unicorn. Because, I mean, they already gave it a lot of weapons. The only thing you could really do is to add on to the frame somehow, and that would need to be some wings of, of some form, I guess. Anything for the Banshee? I mean, that was already pretty cool looking. I feel like you can't really add more to that just because at a certain point, it's going to become over the top. <laughs> it's going to be cluttered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? It'd be like putting wings on, like, Gundam Death Scythe or something. <laughs> right? It's already got. It's already got what it has. <laughs> you can you can tell the point when Death Sight's design went slightly over the top too much. Like the wings were great, the the scythe was great, and then you get to the shoes and they're like super pointy. And I was like, that's where we wear it a little bit too far. <laughs> yeah, it's like all right, we had like a cool thing going. Then you put these monsters on it. <laughs> <laughs> no offense, to anyone who loves Death Sight, we have a good friend who that's its favorite one of all time. So, particularly with the pointy feet, but. Um, the reason I bring this up is if you look at the unicorn, it's like, okay, that's a cool looking suit and it transforms. That's neat. You look, you look at the Banshee and you're like, okay, they took the unicorn, they made it black and they put some more crap on it and it looks pretty neat. And then if you look at the Phoenix, you're like, wow, 
they took the unicorn, they took the banshee, they put even more crap on it, and made it an even more loud color. So I feel like the, these designs of the line are increasing in complexity and I'll say loudness. Does that make sense? So I feel like we're going to maintain that direction. Does that make sense? Like, we're getting more complex here. Right. I mean, it, we did. <laughs> it looks like we're reaching maximum size and like scope before the UC does like a quick right turn and we go to miniature mobile suits, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. This is the logic about why you know, the big change happened into much smaller mobile suits. We just got too big for our own good, and the results weren't really matching the size, I guess. Yeah. So I'm fully expecting, like, a red one, and it'll be, like, a dragon or something. You know, like, the the, the phoenix was, like, gold and patterned after a phoenix. That's what I think is coming down the line, because we got to sell a lot of gunpla with this size. Like, it, as much gunpla that they sold the first time, they're going to try to recreate that, right? I mean, this is right. your way to extend the franchise, to do a sequel. You have to. I mean... It was, it was so good, it deserves a sequel. So, I would again, would love to hear your thoughts on where do you think the unicorn goes uh, visually? You know, do you think we're going to get a new one of the line, or we're just going to get some upgrades to the existing suits? And now on to the, the last sentence, Isaac, that was just so short, <laughs> yet so informative. So quick to fill us with hope. Yeah, so it seems like those 18 years, it seems like we're going to get some, not only some content there, but some animated content. And the first thing I, I thought to myself was because we, you know, we had that episode where we discussed, do you think Sunrise is going to retcon F91? Clearly, that is not the case. So clearly, it doesn't seem like any major retcons are coming. Maybe some minor ones. But it seems like, you know, the producer's saying, look, what do I have to do to get to F91? Well, that, that still involves F91. So yeah, and you know what? We we don't see really any retcons in Gundam, do we? I mean, this isn't a series known for like redos, right? I mean, maybe we see like a a better animated version, or <laughs> or like an, a a version that leads us right up to like a series like Origin, but nobody really like wipes out you know certain series and like oh, okay, double eighty three that was crap. We're gonna we're gonna redo it, and this time there's gonna be you know, new characters and all that. No, they just leave it alone and it integrates with the rest of the timeline. Yeah, with the exception of maybe G-Savior. <laughs> I still don't think that counts, really. I mean, it was, yeah, but but still. <laughs> God, we need, we need to do that episode soon. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll add it to the list. The only major retcon I can think of is that people might bring up is like Gaia Gear. But that one that one's also somewhat not really a retcon because i don't even think that was a sanctioned gundam work if i remember the last time i was reading about gaia gear i think tomino wrote that in some other magazine you know with the intention that it would be a a gundam continuation but i don't think it used the word gundam or anything so you can't really retcon something that doesn't really wasn't really official in the first place but uh, i could be wrong about that yeah but i think you're right outside of that i mean we certainly get some differences so for example there are differences in the unicorn OVA versus the unicorn novels, but that's pretty standard. I wouldn't, I don't think I would consider that to be a retcon. No. I mean, they've never just wiped a series off the map before, I don't think. Maybe in like video games and stuff, but those are all questionable canon anyway. So, so what, what was your initial thought when you, when you saw that, Isaac? I thought to myself that this, this was the answer we had discussed months ago as far as what we'd like to see in uh, the next 100. We're going to be seeing all the blank spaces in the timeline fill it up. This is exactly what we're getting. Hathaway's was, I think the director even says it's like the turning point or starting point, something like that, right? 
yep. in the uh, the article and you know the next logical step is okay what comes what comes after this you know we're gonna have to see the lead up to crossbone vanguard showing up you know maybe some intrigue and secret gundam missions and projects there we're going to see the dissolution of Xeon, which is going to have to involve a Gundam. Maybe we're going to see stuff that takes place after F91. You know, the the collapse of Cosmo Babylonia with the Crossbone Von Gundam and all that. So it's happening. There's so much blank space, so many blank decades in the UC timeline. It's clear that they're going to fill them in with content. And why not? Why wouldn't they? Absolutely. I think this means that eventually Crossbone is a lock. I think that's coming. I don't think it's necessarily coming soon. Because it sounds like they're going a little bit in chronological order. Like maybe they want to do the dissolution of Xeon, do Hathaway's Flash, fill in the time between then, Hathaway's Flash and F91. And then after that, like you said, they're going to have to turn to that collapse of Cosmo Babylonia and to Crossbone Gundam. And to me, this seems like a big opportunity here, Isaac. Because Unicorn and Hathaway's Flash are great. They're high budget, super good to watch. But they do require a good bit of Gundam knowledge. Uh, is, would you say that's fair? Yeah, yeah. You need to understand where the story's starting and everything involved because there's just a lot of moving pieces, a lot of lore that gets referenced, and you don't really get that handed to you. You know, at least I would be surprised if they do a very long exposition <laughs> as far as who these characters are, what Hathaway's been through. <laughs> right? That's yeah. that's really not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, maybe we'll get something, but yeah, I agree. I mean. You know, you're watching the sequel to a movie that was the conclusion to three 40-plus episode TV series. So there's a lot of baggage there. Yeah, it's a very gray series, too, in terms of morality, as opposed to the first series. To an extent, yeah, there was some gray morality, but for the most part, as a viewer, especially here in the United States, you can watch and like, okay, the the guys in the, the bright-colored uniforms are probably good guys. Everybody else, <laughs> the, you know, in the fascist-looking uniforms are they're the bad guys. And uh, it, this is very similar to World War II. Okay, we know how to we know where we are. Let's go. Yeah, and then like with Unicorn, I'm sure a lot of people are watching that and that's their first experience of the Universal Century. And I'm sure they can kind of follow along what's happening, but they definitely won't get the full impact. Like, I, I don't think, personally, I don't even think Unicorn's a great place to, like, start the universal century it is like from a visual perspective but from a story perspective that's probably really confusing yeah you'd have to be willing to maybe pause it and take out your phone (laughs) especially at the beginning right right? you'd be like okay this looks like a cool anime let me kind of read up like oh okay there was a war this is this guy and all right these are the bad guys okay i I can kind of get go along with it all right some scenes i'm sure they probably throw you for a loop right you're like what what the heck are they talking about and Oh, geez, Laplace, what? <laughs> yeah, or like, you know, the whole thing about the, the pull clone. That That's like a deep oh, cut from yeah. the Zeta era. Yeah. I was kind of shocked they even did that. You're definitely not going to get the significance of that, having not watched the other shows. So my, my point here is that I think this is a big opportunity because you need to have something out there in this franchise that's modern, like those shows, but it's also simpler. And we have a model for that already. If you if you think back, I mean the shows are older now. They're 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 aging out of what people are willing to watch, even though they're still good. But we we have stuff like that already in Eighth MS Team, in 0080, uh, War in the Pocket, and 0083 Stardust Memory. Those all act as really good introductions to the Universal Century for non fans because they're small, they're consumable, and they're self contained for the most part. I mean, there's references to the the overall conflict. But, I mean, that's how you got into it, Isaac. 
we need that but for a modern audience yeah and a lot of it you know is just i guess willing to put in the time to catch up yeah so my thought is we we need that but for for a modern audience for the uc next 100 and we already have the material for that there are at least six stories that i can think of set between those 18 years that have relatively little to do with the past so those are the fastest formula which starts in yeah, uc 0112 i believe this is actually i think still being published i haven't read any of this yet it's it's kind of difficult to find synopses on these things but i'm pretty sure this tells the story of when they started making the the f90 units there i think they made three units um, and then we see those three units come through the next uh, 10 years or so here. <clears throat> so that, that manga is currently running. They greenlit that manga, you know, a few years ago. They may have been thinking about this for some time. I wonder if they start with that. So in connection with that manga is when they started putting out the Master Grade F90 with all the mission packs. So it's a lot of merchandise already, Isaac. I mean, there's potential there. You know, that's with the A pack, the B, the B pack. C, they're doing one for each letter. <laughs> you know, you can sell that all day. Then we have Mobile Suit Gundam F90, which we did a review on for this podcast. That takes place in UC120, uh, and that features units 1 and 2 of F90, which was the original first time you saw a Gundam F90 before they started releasing the fastest formula. And then we have Mobile Suit Gundam F91 Formula Wars 0122, which was that Super Nintendo game that we played, Isaac. And that one features unit 1 again going against the Mars Zeon. That was a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, gameplay-wise, maybe not the best, but story-wise, you could make a... That's a that's a series, yeah. God, yeah, we fought all over the Earth Sphere. <laughs> yeah, visually, it would be great. And, you know, all the characters are new. You'd have, you know, you, I wouldn't follow, perhaps, the the SNES cutscenes, you know, to the letter, to the T, perhaps. I'd probably make the story a little better. Um, maybe flesh it out a little bit. But... You know, I think the material's there. You, you've got a setup, uh, you know, battle, and a, and a good climax, and it, it would look great. It would be short, consumable. Same thing with the with the previous two, and there's still there's th- there's three more. There's a um, Mobile Suit Gundam Climax UC. I think there was a that's a video game. I think from the like mid 2000s, and then there was a, a companion manga called uh, Bonds of the Bloodline or something like that, and that takes place in UC 0123. And that one picks up from F90, Isaac, where remember in F90 when the Mars Zeon stole Unit 2 and they rebuilt it and they made it like red and then it, it you know, uh, yeah. they lost in, in, the, in whatever in the final battle. But they, they rebuild that unit, that, that Unit 2, that F90 Unit 2 uh, into like a new design. I'm pretty sure someone pilots it in that manga against the Crossbone Vanguard. And it, it's a woman pilot too. So that's pretty cool. I, I haven't found that manga translated I would like to read it, though. And then there's another F90 manga that takes place in UC-123 called, like, Cluster Gundam. I think that's Unit 3, the the third unit of the F90 story. The pilot of that, I believe, also takes on some Crossbone Vanguard. And then the last one I can think of is Silhouette Formula F91, which, again, we did a review on that one. That one was probably not our favorite. Um, But all those things, Isaac, they're all short. They all lead up to F91, you could make OVAs of anywhere from one to five episodes on each of those and have those become the new classics that everyone refers to, right? If you go to recommend Gundam to your friend, do you go tell them to watch the 1979 Gundam first? Probably not. 
you probably say you should watch this show but if you want to ease into it a little bit go watch 8th ms team or 0083 yeah so we need something new that can replace that pretty much and also i feel like we might reach the point where oh okay what what gundam series do you like you know you see and like uh, i kind of like the you know after 100 and then some people are gonna be like oh i like pre-100 we're gonna get yeah. to the point where the, the divide is pretty much gonna be do you want to watch the federation fight zeon or do you want to watch the federation fight all these you know this the skittles bag full of you know villainous organizations <laughs> and the skittles bag <laughs> Well, I mean, once Xeon held the line for so long, right? And then once they're gone, it was like every decade a new enemy popped up with new uniforms <laughs> from a different side or somewhere else, and like they had to be dealt with. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? We traded a bar of chocolate for Skittles, right? The bar, the chocolate bar was really big, and we knew exactly what it was each bite, you know. But now the Skittles, man, you don't know what color you're going to get. <laughs> <laughs> it's just chaos. People it's, are eating yeah, yellows and greens. You and... drop the bag, great. Now you have to pick it all up. <laughs> <laughs> There's that one guy who's hogging the reds. You know, that, like, that guy's hey, always there. Come on, buddy. We have to work together on the yellows. You've got to get through those if you want the reds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Ogata, he didn't really provide much more than that one sentence. But... My point is the intent is there. Like he's clearly thinking about it, and that's, to my knowledge, that's most of the material they have for that that eighteen year time frame in the in the universal century. Uh-huh. So I fully expect maybe we don't see all six of those, Isaac, but I'm thinking we at least see one or two. I hope so. I mean, there's no reason. Okay, maybe they have a better story idea, but these stories are pretty much ready to go. So why not use them and fill out the time spaces? You know. Oh, absolutely. And and yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, they might not like all of them. So I, even if they give us two to three animated works in this time frame, I would guess that at least one of them would be original, right? Yeah. They're not just going to go adapt every single manga property. I mean, that that's not a winning formula. But to me, this this seems like an easy thing, Isaac. I mean, they could brand this like, a, like an overarching series name, like, you know, the Formula Wars or something. And that would just cover this time. Because all these stories, they all relate to like the Gundam F90s. So I think you just pitch it like that or something. Why not? I mean, pitch it as really the fans get to keep all the old content they already like. And this is just new stuff that will make the content better because it'll lead up to it. We'll probably get a lot of visits from old characters that we haven't seen in a while. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of crossbone characters, right, showing up in the lead up to F91 based on whatever series they're going to make that explains all that happened before the crossbone vanguard and Cosmo Babylonia. So it's kind of an exciting time, you know, in a way they might have a chance to redeem their, uh, their missteps like Crossbone Vanguard. We'll be able to maybe see it in a proto Vanguard form and it'll be really cool. I hope same with the characters. Maybe we'll get a lot of Corozo for all we know. And you know, whoever he fought as they were building up the mobile suit force to, uh, eventually take the frontier side. Yeah. I mean, any, any more background they could give us on the Crossbone Vanguard would be beneficial you know if they're going to go this route which it seems like they're committed to not retconning anything so if they're going to go this route then yeah they i think they need to fill it out and they need to do it in a way that attracts new fans so yeah that that's my pitch not that uh ogata-san is uh, listening to our podcast but if he is i think you need some new classics man you can do it those side story one year war shows are great i think that gets people into the universal century so we need something for that to get people into the uc next 100 not that hathaway's flash and the unicorn sequel aren't aren't great because i'm pretty sure they're going to be amazing but 
I think that's more for people like myself and Isaac who are we're already on board. Yeah, maybe they'll frame it in a way since each one's almost going to be a mini intro to whatever series it leads up to, like um, you know, F91 or even beyond that. Maybe it'll trim it'll be framed as sort of an intro to Gundam in a way, you know, new characters on little side stories. And hey, there happen to be giant robots, there's a evil force brewing and you have to watch the the good guys and the heroes, you know, save the day. If uh Ogata came to you and he was like, "Isaac, make me a story in between Hathaway's Flash and F91. What would you do? Wow. I would do like um, almost like a Gundam conspiracy thing. So if you remember in F91, there was a lot of chatter about how European frontier side looked. I would mm-hmm. flat out make I would flat out make a series about how some members of the Federation clearly designed the colony, knowing Crossbone Vanguard would take over it. But Brian, the plot doesn't stop there. Originally, there was a Gundam that the Crossbone Vanguard were also supposed to seize. Ooh. And it's about how that didn't exactly work out in the Crossbone Vanguard's favor, but they still went ahead with Cosmo Babylonia anyways. Oh, interesting. Would the Gundam be like a, a Crossbone Vanguard-looking Gundam, I assume? Yeah, it would have been um, maybe even miniature or something. Or I don't know. It, w- it would have been an ace in the hole they had. That way, you know, based on a lot of... I guess sort of hints that we had the crossbow vanguards were clearly ahead in terms of mobile suit development, right? Cause they had miniature mobile suits. Mm-hmm. Iron mass was clearly around or aware of what happened in the one year war since he knew about mobile armors, right? That's what he built. Yeah. And even with the b- development of bugs showed that they had a, a very forward look to weapons and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. with that in mind, the crossbow vanguard clearly knew that Gundams played vital roles in previous wars so they actually had a plan in the works to seize a Gundam that was maybe special made for them, or at least what they needed it for. Maybe like some type of a colony occupation Gundam, something like that. And their their plan originally was to seize it, and that would be sort of their leader taking control of the, the frontier side. But what would you know, Brian? A, uh, a plucky hero and a bunch of lovable <laughs> characters get in the way and thwart their plans. Those damn plucky heroes. Yeah. Oh, you, you damn university interns. <laughs> <laughs> You're all just stopping such good mobile suit pilots. <laughs> yeah, stopping the prototype. You, you damn kid that fell into the cockpit during the battle. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea. And, and actually, I like that it draws on that, that one line from the movie, which was probably one of the most underrated plot developments of the movie that no one yeah. really talked about. They had such huge implications and like we never hear about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That would that would be like finding out that like members of the Federation were helping Zeon. Right. You know, way when Zeon was alive. So <laughs> Yep. And I think yeah. we said this on the on the on our F91 podcast, but I'm sure Tamino was like, "No, I really I really want that line in the movie because that yeah. movie moves so fast. You know, every second mattered, and yet that line was still there. So it was very I'm going to take that, that yeah. it was very intentional on his part. It had to. It makes sense about why their colony looks like that. We never see colonies look like that, right? Yeah. Amaro's colony didn't look like that at all. No. <laughs> so clearly something was happening behind the scenes. So this would have been a, an explanation of what exactly happened and what else was also happening behind the scenes. How about you, Brian? What would you want if you were con- control a series that was taking place between, uh, you know, I guess the fall of Xeon and then F91? Um, I would do a series about building F90 units one and two. This might already be covered in the fastest formula. I haven't read it, but mm-hmm. uh, one thing that we didn't actually talk about in our F90 review, 
um, because it's not really mentioned too much in the manga, but if you go read about it a little bit, Unit 1 is based on Amaro's pilot data, and Unit 2 is based on Char's pilot data. They're um, AI computers on board. Uh-huh. Um, so I would do a series where they're building those units and they have to go, like maybe they need to go retrieve part of the original Gundam or part of things that Amuro piloted during the grips era to to you know get the data out of it and maybe there's some other people interested in the in that data as well they could also be trying to find old suits that char piloted so i I think that'd be fun very side story-ish i like it in a way side stories are really the best way to fill up a lot of the gaps right yep and it would give you a a reason to have Amuro and char in the show you know obviously not in in the flesh perhaps but maybe they would encounter their their new type uh, presence which clearly is still out there roaming i'm surprised we don't see that stuff more often because like lala seemed like she could just pop in whenever she wanted <laughs> right yeah agree as much as i dislike her <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean she was talented you can't take that away from her yeah but i don't know so, just ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I think Isaac and I are, are very excited after this small smattering of news, but it's like enormously important, I think. And I, I don't I don't feel like enough people are talking about it, but I think it's big news. The chatter will increase once we start seeing actual images, screen caps, things like that, the trailer. Yeah, I mean, that could be years away, though. Yeah, but I mean, at least we know it's coming. At least we know the UC won't be, you know, abandoned or the only thing we can expect is like a dub of like double zeta or something like that (laughs) i don't think we're ever going to get a dub of double zeta unless someone out there has that uh southeast asian dub like on their vhs tape they recorded (laughs) in like 2005 or whatever whenever it came out maybe well maybe we'll get a fan dub or something that'll like widely circulate (laughs) i don't know we should do the fan dub wow like do we do all the characters or do we like yes just we, us we, too. we have <laughs> listeners yeah we, we assign listeners different characters if you'd be interested in participating yeah. in our double zeta fan dub please let us know <laughs> we'll put you on the list you must have a microphone it could be cheap yes. it's okay don't break the bank but you must have one even your laptop micro actually no you can just use your phone i guess that, that'll be part of the charm the audio quality will be so bad yeah. and all the mics will be different so there will be no consistency whatsoever <laughs> why does haman sound like she's talking in the bathroom <laughs> because she is <laughs> That's the only place in the person who voices Haman's house where she can get some privacy to record her lines. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> you hear people in the background talking or yelling. Yeah, so any any last thoughts, Isaac? Just get ready for some more great UC content and uh, keep an eye out for Hathaway's Flash. Whatever happens, be sure to support it once it is released. Yeah, we need, we need more of that UC content, so I think that's important. All righty, everybody. That'll be it from us tonight, so stay safe out there and uh, have a good one. Don't forget, before you go to sleep and after you like, comment, subscribe, stand next to your bed, get on your knees, put your hands together, look up at the ceiling, inhale Zeon.